Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling, founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week as we wrap up our series on multifamily real estate taxes. This week, a topic that I think is of great value to everyone, and that is how everyone in society benefits from the tax treatment multifamily real estate investors receive. Now, this is more than just property taxes and who pays property taxes, and we'll talk about that a little, but this is really about the benefits that we receive that we've talked about over the last several weeks. And again, I'm referring to things like the depreciation that we're able to take on our investments, uh, the tax deferral that we enjoy, uh, treatment like 1031 uh, sale exchanges. How does that benefit society? We understand there's a benefit to investors, but how does that work for everyone else? Is there actually a benefit in society? And aren't these really just loopholes that need to be closed up? And we have an answer to that question that we'll talk about with all the other subjects this week. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com. Lots of great content there. We actually have a new round of webinars we're going to be launching. I hope we'll have those up in the next week or so that you'll be able to go and register for. And again, you can find that on the webinar page at the Learning Center at marapoling.com. All right, with that, let's get into this. Potentially the most controversial of the subjects that we have talked about in our tax series, this notion that not only do real estate investors, like all of us, benefit from the tax treatment we receive, but society does as well, that everyone benefits from us and all the other real estate investors out there getting this treatment. That sounds like a pretty bold statement, and I am absolutely confident that there are individuals out there that would argue vehemently that my thesis is incorrect. So I'm not going to debate anybody. We're not looking for that kind of an interaction, but we want to share information that we think helps underscore how that tax treatment works, how it's beneficial to everyone in society. So let's start first with one of the kind of easy tax questions, and that's around property taxes. Now, every one of us that's a real estate investor pays property tax. It might be a small number, might be a large number, might be a number that moves on an annual basis. And it's important that those property taxes be paid. They support the communities that we invest in. That's what provides for good schools and first responders, police, fire. It provides all the community services that 
we all benefit from. And so in that regard, that tax item clearly has benefit for everyone. And who pays? Well, it looks like we pay, right, as investors, because we we write those checks on an annual basis. Uh, if you've got a loan, you probably write that check monthly and the lender hangs onto it and then they send the dollars in for you. But if you think about it, it's really paid by tenants. Uh, a tenant that pays $1,000 a month in rent, roughly 500, maybe $600 of that goes to cover expenses associated with the property, things like insurance on the property and the staff to maintain the property and property taxes, whether it's $50 or $100 a month, whatever it might happen to be, the tenant's really funding that activity. And so in that regard, when you have a household, when you have a home, whether it's a home that you own or a house or an apartment that you rent, you are paying taxes. You are paying taxes that benefit your community. We want to talk, though, about tax treatment more, not just about the actual taxes that go out the door. Tax treatment. I mentioned a few different things, right? There's all the tax deferral that we've talked about over the last few weeks, ways in which, as opposed to paying tax today, we can defer that tax and pay it a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, or even longer. And in doing so, not only enjoy the use of those dollars in that time frame, but we can also pay the tax at potentially very favorable rates, long-term capital gains rates. One of the big drivers of that is depreciation. And we have commented that it can seem odd, possibly, that an asset that is owned by an investor, right? An apartment building that we all purchase together that grows in value can be depreciated. Well, as again, as we've discussed, the depreciation has to do with the lifespan of the physical assets, which do need to be maintained and over time replaced the depreciation syncs up with that. The appreciation is a function of the growth in the value of the business, right? When we buy a building, we're actually buying a business, a business that generates a million dollars a year in revenue and $500,000 in net operating income. It's that $500,000 that we're buying. And if we can grow it to 600 and 700 and 800, then our building will grow in value, even though the building itself, it continues to age and requires the maintenance we've discussed. So very legitimate items, but how do they benefit society? Well, there's two ways I like to look at it. And the first is let's wave a magic wand and take all of that away so that there's no depreciation. There's no ability to defer taxes. So if there's a profit made that year, there's tax paid that year. And we'll even take away the 1031. We'll say that 
when you sell an asset, you simply pay the tax on how much you made, maybe even get rid of the capital gains rate so that you pay ordinary tax rates on all of that. Just eliminate all those things. Now, by the way, we don't think anything like that is going to happen, but we think this is a good thought exercise to go through. So what would happen if that was the situation? Well, when you invest as an investor, I know, because this is a big part of investing in real estate, that when you are looking at your returns, you're thinking of your returns not only in a gross manner, meaning pre-tax, but you're also looking at what the after-tax return. How much am I going to get to keep of my gain? If I can make 6% return on an investment and I get to keep 5%, is that a better deal than if I make 10%, but I only get to keep half at 5%, right? We all do that calculation of what's my after-tax return. Well, these tax benefits increase the after-tax return of real estate investors. If we eliminated all of those items, then those returns would go down. Now, what would happen if we had across the board lower returns for real estate investors and not just in multifamily but in every component of the real estate space well we think one of two or some combination of two things would happen one rents would go up income would need to be higher Right? There'd need to be more NOI so that you could generate a higher pre-tax return so that after paying that tax, you'd be in a position to have a similar return as you do today. And again, we think that that would happen across the board, right? All real estate would experience that. Okay, so that affects tenants, and I'm a homeowner, so I feel bad for them, but how does that affect me? Well, the cup of coffee you buy at your local coffee shop is going to cost more. Why? Because the rent on their space went up. You need a new set of tires for your car? They're going to cost more. Why? Because the rent on the tire shop went up. Not only did the rent on the tire shop go up, but the rent on the manufacturing plant that manufactured the tires and the uh, rent on the distribution facility that warehoused the tires before they were delivered to you. All of those have gone up in price because their costs have gone up because rent went up. By the way, rent even goes up for tenants that own their own buildings. Uh, it's not uncommon for a business that owns its own real estate to actually own it in a separate legal entity and to rent it from that entity. It's one of the ways that that business can generate income for itself. If these tax benefits go away, so the after-tax return is lower, then there's less incentive for that to happen or more likely, 
again, that rent has to go up. And if the rent goes up, now the costs of whatever goes on in that space goes up. Well, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's not always going to be the case. You can't just raise rents. Tenants can only pay so much more. At a certain point, there isn't any room to move the rents up. And you're absolutely correct. For some properties, maybe for many, possibly for most properties, there wouldn't be room to raise the rents to get to the same after-tax returns. Now what happens? Well, real estate investors are going to leave real estate, or at least a certain amount of them. Those that need the higher returns, if they can get a similarly high after-tax return as what they were getting in real estate from another investment, wouldn't they move their dollars from real estate to those other investments? Absolutely. If there are fewer dollars in the real estate investing space, i.e. demand for real estate from an investment standpoint, then the value or price of those real estate investments comes down. Well, if a building that was $10 million has grown to maybe $12 million, but because of an effect like this goes back to being worth 10 or 9 or 8 well, at a certain point in time, that building is worth what the loan is on it. The equity is gone. And potentially, you have investors that walk away from those properties. Well, what happens to them? The bank gets them. And so now banks are flooded with all sorts of properties that they don't need and nobody to sell them to because there's no real estate space. So they get turned into another use or they get torn down or something happens. So what do we end up with? Well, lenders have losses. There's not really a lot of new investment that goes into real estate because it's hard to compete now because we've lost these tax benefits. And potentially we end up with a worsening housing shortage. Now, that's just two scenarios that we think help illustrate what some of the challenges are. What that means from a benefit standpoint is the tax benefits that real estate investors get today help us with housing. They provide more housing, hundreds of thousands of new apartment units a year being built because real estate investors have confidence in and like the math around investing in real estate. Banks that are able to improve the performance of their balance sheets, which make them healthy firms for everyone to be able to work with because they have solid, stable real estate investments on their portfolio. Rents staying in a reasonable range. And I can hear a tenant right now saying, if you think today's rents are reasonable, you've got another thing coming. Yes, rents have gone up. They've gone up because there's a certain amount of supply and there's more demand. They've not gone up because the investor community has been hit with some change in the basic structure of how this works. So rents are more stable. 
the cost of goods and services across all of society are more stable because rents are not skyrocketing to make up for these changes. All right, you might be thinking this is Pat, the real estate investment guy, simply making an argument for keeping some sweet deals for real estate investors and that none of that other stuff is really going to happen and that in reality, these are all loopholes. Uh, the 1031 is a great big loophole for uh, real estate investors to exploit. Never intended to do this kind of thing. Well, in the Revenue Act of 1921, there was a provision for a sale exchange, for a like-kind exchange. And over the years, that's been expanded and developed and it's shifted here and there in terms of its size and applicability and so on. But it's been there. It's been there for over a hundred years. Depreciation. Depreciation as a concept has been around for close to 200 years. And as far as the tax code is concerned, in the early 1900s, depreciation was an active part of the tax code affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1909 that that was an appropriate use of tax dollars to support infrastructure. Think about it. Why do we as a society have these elements in the tax code? We have them so that we can support the private development of infrastructure, not just housing, so multifamily, but all sorts of other things that we build in society, right? The manufacturing base that we have, the retail facilities, hospitality, um, all of the elements that we use today are funded by private investment. Now, we didn't have to do that, right? As a society, we could have said, we're not going to create a giveaway to investors, we'll do the investing and the government could own apartment buildings and the government could own offices and retail and hospitality and manufacturing plants. And for a range of reasons as a society, we've decided not to do that. And as I said, there's a whole range of reasons. One is, and I, we're not going to get into all the subtle arguments, it's not terribly efficient, right? Um, how many government programs of that scale can you think of that have been more efficient than private enterprise? One of the things we're seeing today, and it's really quite exciting, isn't it, is the commercial operations of space travel and putting uh, payloads in space. Uh, and it's being done more rapidly with more innovation and less expensively than we've been able to do it as a government. As a government, we pioneered it, right? Society did that, but then the commercial industries have come in and taken that to the next step. I don't think anyone really would wanna argue that private investors shouldn't own commercial buildings, multifamily properties, and the government should do that. Well, if the government's not gonna do it, how can it incent the kind of investment that it wants? 
by using the tax code. And so the tax code benefits all of us in society. It provides us with a stable rent environment for not just multifamily, but for all of the uh, infrastructure that's used across uh, the country. It provides stability for the financial institutions, which are significantly tied to real estate values and the performance of real estate over time. It supports the development of new housing, helping with housing shortages that we continue to struggle with in the multifamily space today, but we wouldn't building it, be building anything like 300,000 new units a year if in fact the tax code changed in any of those individual ways, let alone in all of them. Well, you might consider that to be a, um, a little far out in terms of a way of thinking about it. We think it makes a great deal of sense. And it's one of the reasons that we're very comfortable talking with anyone that wants to chat with us about loopholes that we experience as real estate investors. We think there's a very logical reason all of these items exist. And we also believe that they will continue to exist in the future. Will they move? Will they be shaped differently? Will rates associated with some of these items change over time? Yes. Look at the last 10, 15, 20, 50 years, and you'll see times when capital gains rates, for example, were higher or lower. You'll see times when depreciation was managed differently, when losses were calculated differently uh, back in the day, uh, back in the 80s, very different uh, scenarios, also had a very different kind of tax code then. We fully expect, though, that these benefits will continue to be there because they do benefit everyone in society. And if they didn't, well, then we believe there'd be a real political movement rise up that would say, let's let's change all those. And then I think that there would be a very interesting debate that would occur. And the debate would sound much like what we've discussed today. What would the potential impact be of us actually phasing one of these items out? So we feel quite confident that the cherry on top, as we have referred to it, amongst the five elements of a total return, stability and security, cash flow, equity growth, and then that cherry on top, taxes, we believe that that will continue to be a value that real estate investors will experience into the future. We do not see a time where there'll be a significant reduction or repeal of any of these kinds of benefits. There will be a little movement, but we don't think that will be significant in any way, shape, or form. We have talked about an awful lot in the several weeks that we've gone through all of this uh, material. We've talked about um, K-1s, about tax documents. We've talked about depreciation. We've talked about tax deferral. We've talked about 1031s. Uh, we've talked about the benefits that everyone receives from uh, the tax treatment that real estate investors get. It's just scratching the surface. Again, we would recommend that everyone have a tax advisor they're working with to help them make individual decisions about real estate uh, investments. We also think that it makes a great deal of sense for everyone to figure out how to get in the game. 
We think real estate is a wonderful addition to your portfolio. Multifamily in particular, the fact that you can get returns that are on par with equities, with stability that's on par with bonds, and get these extra tax benefits makes real estate a wonderful addition to your portfolio. With that, we're going to wrap up our series on taxes. I hope you have found it valuable. If you have, as I said, any questions, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And please join us next week for a brand new episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.